Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Welcome in to the Gramlich and McLean podcast, episode 178. We Come are on. so excited for this episode. Max, 78. It's a great number. That was one of your numbers. It's a great one of them. That's right. One of them. <laughs> this man with all these different numbers. Uh, shout out to our listeners on SiriusXM, channel 371. Make sure you download the podcast, Apple Podcasts, and on the YouTube. We are very excited, guys. The YouTube um, subscribers are growing. Make sure you go subscribe there. We upload all of our full episodes there, and we cut out some different clips, kind of the really cool stories that you're going to want to hear. We also have some other content on there. So make sure you check out our YouTube channel, Graham Lick and MacLean. And, you know, if you could, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have the time, if you don't <laughs> mind, just, you know, spend 10 seconds saying these guys are awesome. We appreciate it. Um, or on YouTube, leave some comments. Get in on the conversation. We'd love to have that, too. Mac, I want to brag on myself for one second. I'm sitting in... Yeah, I know. Just let me do it. I'm sitting in my new house. I'm sitting in my new office. If you're watching on Which YouTube, looks you awesome, by the way. So my background. I'm looks super so excited. Good. The shelves, the shelves are already here. Okay, I can't take No, she built them. I, I watched it. But I assembled, I gotta show the people. I assembled this desk all Ooh. by myself. I didn't think I was capable. And I think now my husband's an engineer. There are two engineers in this family because <laughs> This desk was obviously very complicated and took a lot of high-level structural work, and boom, it's done. Easy. So I'm pretty proud of myself, man. You, you knocked it out. I, I'm I'm very <laughs> excited about the new digs. It looks awesome. Thank the you, office man. is incredible. I'm jealous. I want to get into my new house. Hopefully, it's it's late June. Hopefully, I'll get yeah. in there sometime in July. Well, Who I knows? know your studio. You're, Mac's building a studio in his house. It, it might be awesome. It's going to we'll be fire. See. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? I can't wait. I, I'm really excited. I'm even more excited, KG, about this guest because we're Ooh. going back-to-back college game day. We have yes. the host, Reese Davis, who is just He's the guy. He's the top of the food chain. When, when you aspire to be a host, when you aspire to do things like Reese Davis, he's the ultimate example. He, he, he is so prepared, and you'll hear these stories that we talk about in here, but but the host for basketball and football, College Game Day, I mean, to hold that is a pretty in, incredible title. Uh, and then he also does the premier events on ABC, on ESPN, College Football National Playoff, uh, the, the championship when they announce and do the Final Four unveiling mm-hmm. each and every week. He does the draft on ABC, and of course for basketball, the State Farm uh, Champions Classic and the men's NCAA Final Four. Pretty much, if it's a major event, KG, for ESPN, he's doing it. Oh, he's there for sure. And we talk about some of the other parts of his story that I think the average listener might not know. He is a native of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. We get into this. Graduated cum laude from the University of Alabama in 1988 with a bachelor's degree in communication news public affairs. He was also named University of Alabama School of Communication Broadcast Department's Outstanding Alumnus for 2001. In 2019, he was inducted into the University of Alabama College of Communication and Information Sciences Hall of Fame. So we're talking with the Hall of Famer. And it was fascinating how the Alabama connection and the Alabama alumni group helped him in his story, which I think is always good to hear. So excited to dive into this. We talked to Reese about so many things. Let's talk to the man, Reese Davis. 
Reese Davis, welcome into the podcast, my man. Super excited to have you. We had your teammate a week ago in Herb Street. I wish we would have switched it because we just did a little before air banter. And man, I, I could have used some of that firepower a week ago. How how long is your podcast typically? Well, you know, he actually had another engagement, so he had to shut us down. We could have kept going. He, he squeezed us in there. But yeah, we, we, we thought there could be, and uh, we had to eliminate some questions. There were some good long-winded yeah. answers. No, he's the man. I mean, he's he's such a talented guy. And I don't know that I've ever been around, um, you know, around anyone who has a feel in the moment for what's going on. And it's probably attributable to his quarterback skills back in the day. But he, right. sort of, he sort of sees things like out in the crowd. I'm sort of locked in on what's going on on TV. And he is, too. <laughs> but he'll he'll say things like, you know, I don't know why they ran that in the jumbotron again. Why did they? Why did they play this song instead of that song? And I'm like, dude, you know, I'm I'm locked in on this discussion that we're about right. to do here. But he, he and he is too. But he's he's a he's a talented he's a talented guy for sure. He's funny, but I give him I give him grief about uh about not understanding what the word rap means <laughs> or 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 when you say let's make this pick a quick right. one. He sometimes that message just yeah I'm not taking L- that. Listen, message, our, so. us football players, a lot of hits to the head. You know, some things we don't react to as 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 quickly as you'd like. But Reese, I mean, you, you've been wide open, man. It seems like from about August to to when the final four championships over have you got to breathe a little bit do you get a little break any vacations in line or anything like that uh you know i i am right now and it is a little bit different this year i you know had some discussions with management and they were great and i'm I'm not doing the nba draft uh for the first time in like 10 years which um i really enjoyed it wonderful people to work with i mean you know billis and i are tight nobody's got a better partner in television than i've had for you know, 20 years than Jay and then Mike Schmitz and when Woe just come on and, and Kendrick was great last year. It was fun, but I just, I kind of felt like I'd gotten to a point, not that we, and look, we don't break rocks for a living. You guys know that, but I kind of got to a point where I felt like I needed some extended period of time. Obviously with my role in college football, wanted to keep the NFL draft, which I, you know, do all three days. And I felt like maybe the NBA draft given the way they had made some changes in studio and stuff and career path and all those things that you guys understand, it was a really good time for me to step back from that. So I asked them if they would be okay with that. And, and they are, and, uh, and they've got, you know, uh, Malik Andrews, who's just a sensational young talent who will do a great job in there too. No doubt. Yeah. I bet the, the NFL draft is something that of course, you know, we've seen you do for quite a few years now. Is that, and I, I mean this in the best way, is that the hardest thing that you guys do with, with all of the information. I know you follow these guys all year, so you're very mm-hmm. familiar with the college players, but three straight days, that's got to be a challenge. It, it, it is. I, it's a tough question, Kelly. I mean, in terms of whether it's the hardest, it is very different. Game day is maybe what I would term as semi-scripted. You know, it's not, there's no prompter, there's no real script as to what we say, but you have a you have a rundown at least, you know, topics and sometimes things get, you know, deck chairs get thrown off if we if a discussion goes too long or if something happens or breaking news or whatever it might be. But there is there is at least a place to start. And there is with the NFL draft to a degree, 
But then I think by by second or day two, you're or maybe even late in the first round, there there's no you don't you have no idea what's gonna happen next. And so I think because of that, that probably is as challenging as anything we do. And then day three, uh, <laughs> day day three gets really long and and it was a little warm out there and I like hot weather, but it was a little warm in Vegas, but it it uh, <laughs> it, it challenged it, it challenged you at uh at, at times as as well uh sometimes you sometimes you make mistakes yeah. i uh, uh eric i'm i don't know why i'm drawing a blank the the linebacker from clemson who got drafted in the late rounds this year Spectre, Spectre, bail inspector right so for some reason there was a glitch on the um on the screen oh, in no. front of me and bail inspector and because i knew obviously i've seen you play a thousand times you know it was there a long time and I said, you know, from Clemson or whatever. And for some reason, on the video screen that keeps track of the draft picks in front, they changed him to Wisconsin. <laughs> and I was like, and I and I and I always keep, I think, I try to always keep my wits about me. But at that point, it was kind of late in the day. And I was like, wait, am I confusing him in my head? You know, am I, is this not who I thought it was? And I said it, so I... I said Wisconsin, and then immediately our friend Tim Beret texted me. Mm. I was like, Tim, I've seen him play a thousand times. He's made a mistake, right. brother. You know, like that. so I I came back and fixed it. So I think from that standpoint, day three of the draft gets a little bit later on. Um, you <laughs> you can get a little scrambled every now and then. even things you know sure. you know you get to a point where you start questioning right. yourself a little bit. <laughs> that's that's so funny say. that Tim Beret texted right, you right. because of course you would. I, He's the best. I, I love. I did him. radio yeah. for six years, and there would be in in the upstate, and there would be times where I would say something, and Tim would be like, "Actually, Kelly, um, this," and he'd text right away, and I would joke, "We just put up the bat signal for Tim. Tim, yeah. what is uh, this?" And he would just text in like five minutes. I, I like it, and, and it's not very often, but I like it when uh, when Tim sends me something, and I can tell him, "No, that's not what oh, I was talking yeah. about." Tim. I, I, I enjoy that. That's that doesn't happen very often, but no, Tim and I, Tim and I are great friends. Best. We have a, a mutual great friend in Digger Phelps yeah. who. Uh, you know, I always refer to as, yes, I know he's uh, an eccentric, crazy old uncle, but he's my eccentric, crazy <laughs> old right. uncle. So, you know, and, and Tim loves him dearly. And so Tim and I are, are really good friends. And I think the world. Uh, That's awesome. And, and I think just going back to the draft and Kelly's question there, it, it's something where the preparation is just crazy. And I can only imagine from a host perspective where, man, you have to know. 300 plus stories and, and be able to at least pull something out about each and every one of them. So when she says hardest, I, I knew what, what she meant there. That has to be mm -hmm. just such, such an unbelievable challenge. How different, I guess, is the prep before we we're going off the rails here. We have a rundown. We're going off the rails. How different is <laughs> that prep? Right. Makes, <laughs> makes me feel right. Exactly. At home. That's exactly. Yeah. How different is that prep? Just because it is so much and, and so much that could or couldn't happen. I think because of the the goal of our show on ABC for the first two nights, it is a little bit different because one thing that, uh, you know, the, the initial goal to do it on ABC was to be different. And all of us are, for lack of a better term, helmet heads, football nerds. So, you know, we all like the football stuff and you never want to get away from that totally. But the ABC audience is different, and the NFL nor ESPN ABC, they don't want a simulcast. So they want the, the personal story. So how best to tell those stories? 
And sometimes you've become really engaged over the course of their college careers. I mean, you we want to do that too on game day, but you're also really engaged in how they performed and what type of player they are. And maybe the other part of it, what type of person, background, stuff like that, uh, sort of augments what type of player they are. That gets reversed in the first two days of our draft coverage. What kind of player they are almost speaks for itself if they're being selected 10th overall in the NFL draft, and you touch that, but the other part is emphasized. So you have to go a little deeper in the preparation of those types of things and, you know, to you know, have an anecdote or understand something about, um, you know, about virtually everyone that you could come up, particularly in the first round. Second round moves a little quicker. Second and third rounds move a little quicker. You certainly still need to know it, but there probably isn't going to be the time to tell all of those stories. And that sort of falls into how I've approached my job for as long as I can remember. And I'm a lot older than you guys, so I don't like to admit that. Um, but about 90 probably 95% of what you prepare for a game broadcast, for a game day broadcast, or for the NFL draft never makes the air. But it's a security blanket, and you have it if you need it. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of time uh, spent on that, I think. That is well said. I, I would agree with that. Now, okay, Reese, I want to preface this question by saying my dad is from Oklahoma, and when he was rising up and he did some city government stuff, he actually went to – some sort of coach to kind of ease out his Southern accent. Okay. The reason I'm asking this <laughs> is because I remember when I first noticed you on ESPN, maybe like early two thousands, that kind of stuff, late nineties, your look, I thought, okay, this guy, like, I don't know where he's from. Maybe he's a Northeast guy. I don't know. And then I think you brought up something about Alabama. I looked it up and didn't realize you were an Alabama grad from Alabama, all that. Mm -hmm. Did you have to kind of work on the accent? What's the story there? <laughs> I, I was very concerned about it early in my career. My dad was uh, the same way, I, yeah. I had, a, I had a, a distinct Southern accent. I grew up, even though uh, the bios say that I was born in Chicago, and I was, but my parents were Southerners. My dad was working as a machinist, and we moved back South when I was four years old. I barely remember the move. So I, I grew up in Northwest Alabama, and I had a very, very distinct Southern accent. And, um, you know, I was concerned about it. And so I, I did. I read some books. I, I worked on a couple of things. And then I had um, I probably still have the copy of the book. But my my wife's uncle is was a um, was a record producer of great renown in New York. And then after they moved to a small town, in Thomasville, Georgia, is is a remarkable he's a musical genius first of all and i'm not a musician at all but he he's trained in uh uh in vocalization and different things mm. and he sent me this book called change your voice change your life and so wow. i i read the i read the book and the section on accents said embrace them or leave them and it was almost like i had um had an epiphany that one thing you want to be on television is authentic mm -hmm. um so I decided if I say something on occasion that sounds as if I'm from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, <laughs> I am, and it's okay. So, you know, I, I probably, I was more concerned with cleaning up my diction, uh, making sure, and we all have, you know, um, grammatical pitfalls, <laughs> things that we, you know, say that 
aren't grammatically correct, but I tried to I tried to make sure my grammar was good and clean up my diction. And if occasionally I sound like, or even more than occasionally, you know, I sound like I'm from Alabama, that's okay. Because I think in this day and age of media, people want authenticity. And that's the thing that worked for me. And it's funny you say that because there are so many people who think that I sound Southern really? and so many Southern people who think that I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've even found that with, with my wife, my wife is from Georgia, had no reason to, you know, affect her accent. And though we are uh, recently uh, relocated primarily to Florida, we were in Connecticut for, you know, 20, 27, 28 years. We still have her place there, but um, she didn't try to lose her accent, but when she, and she hasn't. But when she goes back, people think that she has. You, know, like you, <laughs> yep, you, sound, yep. you sound like a northerner. <laughs> yeah. You sound like, you know, a New Englander or something like that. So we even teased my daughter. I mean, my kids both grew up here. But in Connecticut, um, particularly in Connecticut, they don't really pronounce their T's. Hmm. For instance, um, the word mountain, they say mountain. Or uh, New Britain, they will say New Britain. What? They kind of stop and go, uh. And uh, so I even, I even made, I've even joked at different times and referred to hard hit and New Britain because that's kind of the way, that's the way they say it. But my daughter occasionally will not pronounce her T fully. And she's an actress. So I'm like, you got to remember that. I'm like, mountain. Yeah. Mountain. Enunciate. Enunciate. It's so interesting. Awesome. I was just curious because... And it's funny because my dad, I mean, he hasn't really lost his accent. He still says Warsh and all this stuff. So it's not like it really worked. But, so does Lee Corso. Lee Corso yeah. says Washington. And he's yeah. from South Florida. So this makes sense. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you being honest there. I was, I was wondering, I don't know if he'd be offended by that question or not. But no, not at all. It's so interesting not, to me. And I, I remember watching you and I thought, this guy's from Connecticut. Like, you know, that's what he seems like. But I guess not. Well, you know what? And you guys probably know this. It's one of the fascinating things from reading uh, from reading about it earlier, and I've retained some of some of it, not all of it. But uh, there is so much influence of ear to mouth mm. and and what you hear. Um, we even notice that if we you know go back to Georgia or Alabama for an extended period of time, that you know you will slip yeah. back into things. Oh yeah. Or if we, you know, even where where we are in Florida now, you know, the accent's a little bit different, and you'll 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 catch yourself slipping into things. And um, one thing we never did though is we never embraced mountain, or we never embraced quota. It's still the fourth quarter. It's not the fourth quota, which which it uh, off is in in some parts of Connecticut. Oh man, I love that. Is so funny. A very interesting question there, KG. Good job for the research department figuring that out. So really, really appreciate that. Um, let's let's go back a little bit because you, you mentioned Connecticut and we've talked about all these ESPN things. But you know, you started in in local TV in Georgia and then up mm-hmm. to Michigan and then you know eventually got that call to, to ESPN. What w- what was that transition like? What was that call like? Had you wanted to be you know kind of in sports your your entire life? For sure, I started uh, working at the CBS affiliate. In Tuscaloosa, I took an internship there that I that was required for class. And as you guys have probably found out in media, once they worked me every second they possibly could for free under the parameters of the internship, then they hired me. I mean, it was my first gargantuan contract. Uh, I punched the clock and got five dollars an hour. Um, you know, and so I worked there through graduation. It was it was a great place to work. Really, very talented people, even in a small market like that. 
and went from there to Columbus, as you said. And I, I, I stayed in Columbus a lot longer than I anticipated. I went there as a news and sports reporter, wanted sports, but it was an avenue. And um, progressed from there, from the reporter, was the weekend anchor, eventually the sports director, and thought that I would never, ever get out of Columbus, Georgia. I mean, I was, I was desperate, and I kept saying, man, if I can ever get out of here, I will never go back. And, of course, I met the love of my life there, so we go back a lot. So that, there was a reason, I guess, that I, that I stayed there uh, as long as I did. But I got, a, I got the job. The thing that transformed my career while the ESPN call was wonderful, the thing that transformed my career in my judgment was when I got a call from a man, from a man called Jim Bliker, who was the news director at WJRT Channel 12 in Flint, Michigan. And six weeks before my wedding, um, I tell my wife that I'm taking a job, or my fiance at the time, taking a job in Flint, Michigan. Now, did she say the wedding's my, off? Did she say it's done? Well, that that was a that was a possibility, Eric, and that was that was something I was concerned about because you have to understand. I'm going to brag on my wife here a little bit. My wife, we met. She, uh, I'd been working there a while, and they hired her as a sales associate. She was a a radio. Uh, media salesperson of great renown in Columbus and the TV station landed her. And by the time uh, we had started dating and planned to be married, she was making more money than the general manager at that station. And I, that's not even a joke. I mean, she crushed. We ran out of news cars at that place and she got a deal done to get us news cars back. Yeah, she, you know, it was remarkable. But anyway, six weeks before I said, I'm taking this job. I have to because I've been trying desperately to get out of there. And fortunately, she came with me. And I remember, you know, I went, I was only there 16 months, but I have, I have such an affinity for, for Jim Bliker, for the people I worked with, for the people in Flint, the way I was treated. Uh, Mateen Cleves and Charlie Bell and Morris Peterson and I are still very friendly uh, because they were in high school and I was covering them when they played in high school. And that, that, that is the place where I kind of looked at it as a proving ground and great people, a great station there. And then fortunately for me, I, you know, I wanted to move up and I sent, I sent my tape um, to um, Andrea Kirby, who is a media consultant. She used to be on air. She's an Alabama alumnus. And I stumbled across her name in an alumni magazine. And I sent her my tape and told her that I wanted to work at ESPN. And she called me one day and she said, well, why haven't you sent the tape? And I said, well, I assumed that I needed to be in a bigger market in Atlanta, Boston, you know, Los Angeles or wherever before ESPN would pay any attention to me. And she said, you have this screwed up beyond belief. And I said, what do you mean? She said, if you go now, remember when this was, this was like I started at ESPN in 95. So this was 1994. Local news was still humming. She said, if you go to Boston or L.A. or Denver or someplace, she said, you'll never go to ESPN. I said, why? She said, you won't take the pay cut. And she said, send the tape now. And obviously, things have changed. That's good for all of us. But um, I sent the tape and then um, and I know the story probably far longer than you wanted. But I was interviewing for a job in Columbus, Ohio, at the ABC affiliate in Columbus, Ohio. And the night before I was out on a story, my wife got in touch with me and said, a man called Al Jaffe has left a message on our, our voice recorder 
and uh, or your voicemail machine or whatever you call what's them. What's that? Back what, when we what, had is, them, what is that? Whatever Bruce? those things are. <laughs> that used to have a machine back in the olden days before you guys were born. There was this machine that you plugged a wire. Believe this, phones used to be wired. And you watch anyway. He left a message on the tape. Uh, watch Seinfeld. There, there are a lot of good episodes about uh, about the um, voicemails back then. I can't even remember what they were called before they were voicemails or something else. Answering machines. Answering machines. Yeah, answering yes. machines. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, um, I tried to get in touch with him. Couldn't. It was too late. I had to drive to Columbus the next morning to talk to them. So I drove down, and I ended up talking to Jaffe on a payphone, pre-cell phone again payphone in the parking lot of a Wendy's across the street. And I told him, I said, I realize I don't have any leverage and I'm not trying to, you know, to trick you or anything. I said, but I'm about to go in for an interview and I think I've got a really good chance to get this job. You know, Ohio State, Buckeyes, good place to work. Um, as, and he said, if you want this job, don't take that one. Put them off. Now, I didn't know if I was going to get the ESPN job, but the next week I flew out to ESPN. I was able to sort of delay things in Columbus uh, for a while and um, and then went out, talked to them. And then a few days later, we were sitting in a little tiny house that we had bought in Flint and uh, got the call offering the job. And it was, you know, it was it was really a great moment. Wow. It was a lot of it was remarkable and i'm sorry your people uh your all, all your podcast listeners said yeah okay can i scroll forward past <laughs> no, all no, of this? No. <laughs> no it's about it's about the the journey and i think everyone we love asking that story to when we have espn people on because every story is so unique and different and all of them kind of start with you won't believe this but this is how it happened <laughs> i know that's mine and max for sure but okay when you yeah. get to espn and I know, look, you did the NBA draft for so many years. I know you've done some international soccer. You've done a lot. You've done everything. What is it about college sports, though? Because I think most of our listeners associate you with college football, college basketball, college game day. That's that's what they really know you as. So was it your upbringing in the South and being around Alabama? Mm -hmm. is, is that why you really wanted to yes. stick with college sports? It, it is. And that was always the goal. Um, not that I wouldn't have been open to anything else. I mean, as you mentioned, I, you know, I did uh, – I did NBA Tonight uh, back when they used to have those shows on ESPN2 where they put a two in the middle of it yep. with the grunge graphics and made you think you were really cool when you did that. <laughs> but that was, a, that was a really fun show that I loved doing. I did RPM Tonight, uh, to your point of being from the South, when they asked me to move from NBA to RPM. I told them, I said, look, if you're thinking, hey, let's get the Southern dude to do the car racing show, I said, you got the wrong guy. Uh, I said, I've been to... Uh, one race in my life, and it was working in television, cover it. I said, now I'll, I will learn it. I said, but you don't need to go in with the expectation that because I grew up in Alabama that I know anything other than Dale Earnhardt drives the three. That's all <laughs> You're I not really Marty know, Smith. You know? You're not Marty right. Smith. I'm not Marty Smith. No, I, no, I was not. Or, or Ryan yeah. McGee. You know, McGee, I, was not, McGee. I did not have that background in it. And um, so I did that and, you know, did the soccer and did horse racing, mm. all things that were completely uh, – out of my wheelhouse. And I think it helped me uh, long term to, you know, to not only not only learn how to prepare things that you don't know or don't have any preconceived notions about, but just it gives you some confidence to be able to execute some things that are outside your field of interest. But my goal was always to have the most prominent position that I could in college football and college basketball. And, you know, I've I've been asked many times if game day was my goal, and it, it, it wasn't. Now, I love game day, and I think I have the best job in television, 
But, you know, Chris was hosting that show and I didn't feel like I had to have that. It was what, where can I get that gives me uh, the, the most prominent, the best profile, the thing that I will find most fulfilling while covering college football. And I, I mean, I had what I consider to be uh, as enjoyable a run as I can imagine in studio for all those years, particularly uh, no disrespect to all the other guys I worked with that were great, but particularly that decade long run with Mark Man, Lou mm. Holtz. And, you know, you see Mayday's Jersey, you know, above me, right, awesome. right there. He's, you know, he's one of my closest friends and, um, you know, and, Mark and I were together, you know, for several years before, you know, Lou came and joined us. So uh, I cherished that time as well. It was time to make a change of some sort, you know, whether that was in uh, into the booth or as it turns out to game day. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And I think it's the best job in television. I'm thrilled to have it. I, I agree with you. It's the best show to watch. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's been really cool to just see the the minor changes that we have made that have made all the difference in the world. So we want to ask you about prep. We want to ask you about, you know, all these different things, kind of behind the scenes, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I want to kind of start here and talk about that transition and how different was it? Because I, I don't think a lot of people, it's just hard to comprehend if you don't do it when you're in a beautiful set studio where weather's not a factor and you kind of know and technology, then going to a, a traveling circus, if you will, the biggest circus mm -hmm. where, all kinds of stuff can happen. What was that transition like? And maybe what was the most difficult thing about it? You know, Eric, I understand the question, but I think I was well prepared for it because, <laughs> and it's not on the same scale, but I started, I did the first game day basketball. And that it, it was different because of the setup. And it was a while before we figured out on game day basketball and before we could get the schools in the arenas to let us <laughs> Uh, position ourselves so that we had a crowd around us. But I had had several years, uh, I guess, well, first was 05, and then I started game day football in 15. So I guess I had like 10 years of doing that. I, you know, I'd hosted championship stuff. I've been at the Kentucky Derby when Smarty Jones was running at Belmont doing live stuff, you know, when, when he was going for the Triple Crown, um, you know, all of those things. So I, I had, I had a, a good bit of experience doing a show in front of people. So that part of it wasn't, uh, wasn't the change. I think the thing that hopefully um, we've gotten better at over the years is, you know, really <clears throat> capturing what's going on in the crowd rather than just using it as a backdrop. They're like another, another character on the show. So I think that, you know, that just takes some time and feel and knowing, uh, when you need to do it and when you need to just let it slide, all of those types of things. When you see stuff going on around you or catch a sign in the crowd, you know, knowing the right moment to maybe step in while Desmond's making a point and go, did you see that sign? <laughs> and when sometimes even if the sign makes you chuckle to leave it alone and let him finish his point, you know, things like that. So I think that was probably the biggest adjustment of how exactly to best utilize uh, the crowd is being another character in the show. That was probably the biggest adjustment. Yeah, that, that's fun. All right, so let's go into prep in, in itself. So you, you've hosted game day on the football side since 15. Let's just say, you know, you're at Clemson, one of my favorite places, uh, and, and it's uh, <laughs> it's game day. So what does the following, or I guess before Sunday to that Saturday look like in, in regards to prep? Because I'm sure there's a lot of Clemson elements, but also – you know, primarily the other massive games that are happening that day as well. Finding the balance between 
capturing the essence and the energy of where you are and not allowing game day to turn into a pregame show simply for that game is one of the one of the challenges every week that um, uh, the producer Jim Gallero and uh, Drew Gallagher, coordinating producer, and I, and Chris Felica, who, who functions as, as a help in the production of the show, too, is one of the things that it's a challenge every week. So you want to give the venue its due, but it's also the pregame show for the entire day in college football. And so the prep, I think finding that balance is where it starts. And the prep on a very light scale really starts with a few texts on Saturday afternoon while we're watching the other games. I mean, there are, you know, it already starts by Sunday. We were already talking about it. We usually have several calls and Jim and I are constantly, you know, emailing or texting. We don't really have a set method of communication. It really probably depends on whether I'm sitting at my computer doing something, then it probably is an email or otherwise, if I'm just, you know, thinking about something, then maybe it's a text that I send him uh, or vice versa. And so I think because of that, I try to organize the games every week. Um, not only everybody in the top 25, but other relevant games, importance, storylines, uh, anecdotes from it. You try to talk to people about it, maybe reach out to somebody who's, you know, called uh you know called that team or whatever can't do that for every game i wish i could but you have to you know you have to realize how to best spend your time so you kind of identify a few games each week you'd like to do that if you have contacts on the coaching staff maybe you you know maybe you call one or two of them to see what they're you know see what they're thinking and planning and how that might help you in preparation without uh divulging any state secrets or whatever but um it's just sort of a continuous process. A lot of people will ask, uh, how many hours? I, I don't know. It's more of a lifestyle. And I don't, again, we don't break rocks for a living. This is a labor of love. If I were an accountant or a plumber or whatever, I'd be terrible at it because I'd be spending a lot of time reading and talking about college football. Um, so it's sort of a lifestyle. I think from the time uh, you know, late summer, mid to late summer, like I've, I already have started in the last few days, this big file I do every year with just basics that I put in the spreadsheet. I'm terrible with spreadsheets, <laughs> by the way, but I found it to be the most efficient way to be able to go back and reference things, you know, won't bore you with the details, but you know, uh, the coordinators, I color code them when mm. they're new, you know, little notes, anecdotes that you pick up over the course of the off season that may, might be beneficial later stats, you know, whatever it might be. So I start on that early in the summer, try to have it done by the time practice starts so that the things that are obsolete as soon as they actually start practicing, right. you can get rid of <laughs> exactly. and update and all of that stuff. So um, it, it kind of goes like that. And it, once that starts, it kind of runs all the way through into the season. So Yeah. Uh, how about I want to refer back to this, as you said earlier, about, you know, 90 percent of the prep or I'm sure it's a little less than that, but. All that prep that you do doesn't actually make it or, or doesn't get used. Have, is, is, are there a couple of examples of things maybe over the year or things that you've tweaked in your process that you're just like, I don't need to waste my time with this because it's not it's not going to happen or it's not relevant for whatever. And you're not spending a bunch of excess time and energy. Feeling the need to memorize or have noted uh, every rank in every statistical category for, you know, second or third tier games. It, it dawned on me. It really, this probably happened um, later on in my studio days. I was like, 
you don't have to put that on your card. Yeah. You can you can you can look up and see if they're in the top 25 if you don't remember in, you know, uh yards per rush allowed. Mm-hmm. It's right there at your fingertips. You know, so I used to I used to I think expend a lot of energy and time because it gave me the feeling that the preparation wasn't complete unless I had, you know, the most relevant stats. Now, you still want the most relevant stat, but I think there are a couple of things as a host. Um, You want to be well-versed in those types of things, but you also don't want to turn off your audience by uh, coming off as trying to be the smartest kid in class or going, you know, maybe – Maybe David or Desmond or Kirk finish a point and you go, and oh yeah, and they're ranked seventh yeah. in rush defense. You know, you know, I mean, you know, you, you need to pick your spots there. And so I think while I still look at, at true media, which I'm sure you guys know, and the and the various uh, analytical stats that we do, spend a lot of time on that. I I try not to I try not to get myself bogged down in minutia, maybe is the best way to put it. And um, one of the things that I've said to the guys, and I don't think this is a novel concept, is that we we all live this stuff. But the people watching who we do the show for them, they live it in their own way. But when they're watching the show, um, they're getting the kids ready for their game. They're getting ready to go to a tailgate or they're making pancakes or they or somebody, you know, some kid yelled, mom, dad, you know, come do this. They get so my my theory on this, they get one shot at it. You know, they get one we poured over it for weeks or for all week, for hours. When we say that they get one shot, that doesn't mean dumb it down by any stretch of the imagination. That means make it clear and important. You know, make it make it clear, concise, and important as best you can. So I, I've tried to do that. And I think staying away from some of the statistical minutia and making sure that if I give a stat or some stats that I tell you why that matters today, you know, why it might matter today. That's good stuff. I'm taking notes for, for basketball season for me. <laughs> that's um, right. That's yeah, right. That's, that's good stuff. Because I'm, I'm someone who likes to throw stats out there too. And sometimes it's, it's a little too much at times. Okay, speaking of game day, before we get to some ACC rapid-fire questions here, if you can, and I know you've been to all these campuses and, and you don't want to um, you know, make it seem like one campus is your favorite over another, but give me top three campuses to do a game day show on, and then if you can, your three favorite celebrity pickers that you've had. Okay, all right. Uh, top three campuses to do game day on, one is going to be the Palouse, Washington State. Ooh, yes. there, there will never, I doubt there will ever be a game day that was more moving and meaningful for me. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was, you know, probably my fourth year on the show, but for 15 years, they had taken that flag to every show on a crusade. And to see the joy they had in showcasing their campus and their university and their team that day was was overwhelming. I mean, it was pitch black dark. It's four in the morning their time, you know, two hours before the show. <laughs> and they're out there singing and uh, probably imbibing in adult beverages. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're waving so many flags you can't imagine. And it, it was it was I mean, it was exhilarating. So that that one would be my favorite. I, I kind of go these by crowds yeah. because every campus has its own um you know, its own flair and own thing that, that makes it special, particularly to the alums. Uh, James Madison, 
because of the gargantuan crowds and picturesque setting wow. was a great place uh, to do to do game day. And then I think probably, I mean, you could look, you could choose Clemson or, or anywhere in the SEC and not not be wrong in the top three. So, you know, I would I don't know. I, you know, I'd probably I'd probably say that just for the sake of your listeners and your affinities, I would say Clemson's as good as we do. We're up there on the you don't hill. have to say yeah, that. Race. <laughs> no, I know. But it's but it's a fun place to go. I get to go to smoke and oh. uh, we had, mm. you know, Pollock found sloppy body guy. And then we had the, you know, the mud splash yep, yep. there. So we, there's always sloppy something body. fun that happens when we go to Clemson. <laughs> so, you know, I think I think Clemson are really just about any place in the SEC. You know, I love I love going to LSU. Mm. Um, you know, even for an Alabama guy, Auburn's been great. And I take my alma mater out of it, even though I, I gave yours a thing, because everybody's going to feel great when they, you know, when they go to their alma sure. mater. But okay. I, I think those are the ones. Those are Celebrity good. pickers, yes. uh, Keegan-Michael Key, mm. uh, Ken Jeong was amazing, and, McC- and McConaughey. Easy. I mean, Ken Jeong's line, which I'm afraid to repeat. <laughs> I mean... Because his wife's his wife's last name could be misconstrued. If you don't know what I mean, just go back and watch the Michigan State pick, and, and we were all like, "Whoa, what?" And he goes, "Wait, ESPN, what are you talking about? It's her name. It's her last name." So uh, it was uh, it was pretty funny. But he he's he's such a good dude, and uh, he was he was great. And I, I love Keegan. Keegan's been great over the years. He's done some really cool stuff for us, including. Um, he did his James Franklin. It's uncanny. Uh, it's awesome. It's uncanny. It's awesome. And he did his impersonation. Yeah. And he did it so well the week that we were at Times Square doing this show from New York City. And Keegan was a guest picker that day. And he came and he did something. I think they were playing Iowa. That uh, And he basically trash-talked Iowa. <laughs> James had to do the post-game press conference and say, I didn't say that. And it was, I mean, I think James was annoyed, oh, no. but it was, it was, it was oh awesome. I, I love that. It's so funny. And oh when my you, goodness. When you are hanging out with McConaughey, do you refer to him as Mr. Minister of Culture? Like, do you have to refer to him as well, Let's, let's, let's not, you know, Herb Street's a big deal. He probably hangs out with McConaughey. <laughs> McConaughey comes up on the, on the set and I greet him and he's very kind, very friendly, but that's the extent right. of our oh, hangout. Oh, come on. But yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, he and Herbie probably go and hang somewhere afterwards. You that know, is awesome. as rock stars that they that, are. That's so funny. Reese, we, we, you bring up, and we're about to ju- jump into college football here in a second. We're kind of around it. But when you bring up all these great environments and, and these cool things, do you stay at every game? Do you leave right after the show? What mm. Does it kind of depend? I've always wondered that with your guys' show early in the morning. I, I typically stay the last couple of years it it hasn't been as often but part of that was you know the the mm. pandemic stuff and then this past year we had we had just moved and there were some family considerations so i didn't stay every week um but in the past i've stayed virtually every okay. week and so i like i like to stay i think it's good for the show it's good for my preparation and I also I also like right. it. It's fun, <laughs> right. you know. It's uh, it's sort of the reward at the end. And then if there's an opportunity, you know, to be able to do something that contributes on some on some platform, then that's also rewarding too. Because that is the one thing um, that I do miss is not not really having the same platform that you do throughout the course of the day that right. I did for all those years in the right. studio. But um, but no, I, I do. I like to stay because I like the games. It's fun. Uh, you know, we're able most of the time to watch the game from the sidelines. And 
everybody knows that the view is not the same. It's not as good as it would be sitting up, but uh, there's a there's a feel yeah. and an energy down there that is that is really cool and hard to hard yeah to it's very hard to replicate. I think, like you said, it's a reward. I think there would be a no brainer. I'd stay yeah. for every every single one of them just to yeah. see it. Yeah. Um, all right, so we've kind of danced around college football. Let let's let's dive into it, and, and because okay. this thing is changing very quickly, and you of course have seen it uh, from a lot of different lenses, from a lot of different angles, and, and seen it change you know, quite a bit in, in your career as well. But, you know, two things that have just been on the front line of every discussion, it seems like, is the transfer portal and NIL. And they they happened at the same time where, where the craziness. Mm-hmm. And, and just in your opinion, what, what is the state of college football right now? I don't think it's as dire as some of the old school coaches would have you think. Uh, people don't like to give up control. And that's true of us in our everyday lives. And it's certainly true of college football coaches who've had an enormous amount of it over the years. And I think, you know, I think that there, some of them are wrestling with some of those issues. Um, I don't think that any of them, although I've heard some, uh, I've heard some of the uh, older former basketball coaches who do somewhat begrudge the uh, players getting money sort of on the old, uh, back in my day, I had to do X, Y, and Z before I got money, you know, and that that kind of thing. But it's a different world out there. And in many cases, these guys are more marketable than they ever will be in their lives. And it's it's wrong, you know, to deny them what every other human being on the planet can do. And that's capitalize on your talent or your marketability or your popularity or whatever. So, you know, I don't think it's as dire. I do think that some type of collectively bargained framework would probably be good for the enterprise or for the industry. And the industry is what it is. It's a giant multi-billion dollar business. That's what it is. And, you know, so to approach it as a more honest enterprise and allow the players while they are there to share in that revenue uh, would be good. Uh, But I do think that some collective bargaining would be in order. Now, how you do that, um, and also cross a bridge as to whether the players are employees or not is is a difficult one. It's not as simple as me saying, yeah, let's let them all share the revenue. Well, okay, now are you an employee? Right. And if you are an employee, then you give up some of the freedom that the transfer portal has given. But if you're not an employee and they, you know, the made-up term to avoid, uh, you know, to avoid litigation, student athlete, right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, like, you know, it's a made up term. Right. It doesn't, you know, you can, you can be both, but you know, if they insist on that, well, then you can't very well say, well, Eric McLean, sorry, you have to go to Clemson. You can't transfer to South right. Carolina. You know, they get to go to school where they want to go to school and play where they want to play. So there will be some trade off. So I think it's, really imperative for whoever, whatever body, whatever group of people represent the players, have their best interest at heart. Or and that's their mission statement. You know, whether it's Ramogi Huma who has been, you know, instrumental in a lot of the a lot of the work that has already gone into the the NIL cases, or or someone else or some other group or uh, Ramogi in conjunction with other people. It has it can't be you know, someone from the quote unquote establishment saying, OK, we're going to negotiate on behalf of the players. And this is what you know, this is what we're going to do. It's got to be an agreement. 
But the, I think the one thing everybody's going to have to understand that when that agreement comes, the players are going to get a significant share of the money, I think, in revenue sharing that'll be much like pro sports because that's really what this is. It's a, it's a, it's a pro sport. But the players are going to have to give up something. You know, that's what a negotiation is. And I think part of that is going to be uh, unlimited transfer. There may be, you know, different windows in which you can do it. Uh, what are the stipulations? Is it like, is it like us with non-compete clauses, you know, in certain aspects for a period of time? You know, what is it exactly? And that's where the difficulty will be. As far as, you know, the sport being on the precipice of disaster because the players are getting money, I don't buy that at all. I mean, they still, money doesn't make you not want to win. I mean, and if you, if it makes someone not work as hard as an athlete because they, you know, because you're playing quarterback at Ohio State and driving a Bentley, uh, and all of a sudden now you don't watch as much tape, uh, well, then that was probably going to manifest itself at some point anyway. And I think in a lot of cases that guys are driven to prove their worth when they do it. And probably, you know, because all of life and my judgment is a bit of a balance, then probably the challenge is to not is to not put too much pressure on yourself and not perform at your best because you're trying to prove, you know, that you're, you know, you're worth the Bentley or you're worth, you know, this deal right. or that deal or whatever it is. So I think, I don't think it's as dire as people think. Um, I, I would like to see a collectively bargained framework so that not that everything's the same because everything's not the same in, in life. And, you know, if, if someone's going to go someplace to a school because they think they're going to uh, benefit more financially, well, how's that different from any of us taking a job where we think we're going to benefit right, more financially? Right. It's not. And, you know, so, you know, that part of it doesn't bother me in the least. But I think some type of framework so that everybody everybody kind of knows exactly what's expected on both sides of the of the arrangement. And whether it be how long a player stays, when they can transfer, um, what type of incentive is uh, reasonable and permissible, uh, and maybe all of them are in terms of, you know, attracting players there. Maybe because I do think at some point, if we don't do anything about these, you know, these collectives or different things, I think the market will sort of settle it over time. Because how many times would it take for someone to give of their personal wealth to contribute to this and have things go a little sideways before you go, right. nah, well, let's see here. Before you, know, you go so eight I think the four market or five will, straight years, like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, uh, the market, it might not, but that might not be the best way right. to settle it. Maybe a framework or a parameter is better, but I do think that it left to its own devices, the market will probably settle it to an area that, uh, you know, you know, Separates the competitors. I, so I, I completely agree. It's it's just a matter of time, and I think we're all three of us are very aligned um, in, in thinking and, and kind of how that goes. And the fact that yes, we all agree it, it should be that way, but there's going to be some rules. There's going to be parameters. There's going to be things that the athletes in turn have to give up. So I love that man. Very well said. Let's jump into a little bit of rapid fire here. We're going to dive into some ACC stuff. Um, we've asked every guest this, so it's been very unique to see the answers and and the trends that we've had here. But Reese, give us your number one quarterback in the ACC going into twenty two. You tipped me off, so I started thinking about this question. I'm going to say 
Uh, Tyler Van Dyke Ooh. from Miami, even though, you know, new offensive coordinator, new system, I get it. And I do have one major, major issue with the Connecticut native. He, <laughs> he showed an egregious error in judgment by going to Suffield Academy as opposed to going to the Avon Old Farm School for Boys, which is the finest boys school on the there planet, which made me want to pick Tyson Pumachon right. as the best quarterback in the ACC. But I, I go Van Dyke by a hair over Brennan Armstrong, okay. even though Armstrong, Armstrong doesn't have any of his offensive line back. He's got a new system, but I mean, he's fun yeah. to watch. Oh, yeah. Too so, just by a hair, and there are a lot of other guys. I mean, Malik yeah. Cunningham has put up ridiculous numbers. He's a you know it's a quarterback rich league. I think this year and some guys who could really break out. But I I, I guess I'll start with Van Dyke. He's probably the guy who's going to wind up being the best pro mm-hmm. uh, pro prospect by the end of the season. I yeah. think. But you have to also remember that last year I was ready to, and and I still <laughs> love him. But I was ready to give the Heisman to Sam Howell last year. Mm-hmm. So you know. Um, it works you know, out. Things change. Things and, change. Well, they, I, I mean, he carried them huh. on his back, and that's not a right. shot at him. But I said that to say that that's what gives me pause a little bit about Van Dyke because new system right. around him, and they do have some offensive line issues. Virginia's got everybody new up front. Um, so I have pause about both of right. those guys uh, because of the because of the people around them, not necessarily about their talent. But that's yeah, what I, and I like that. I think with Van Dyke, a lot of question marks at the receiver position. You know, Charleston Rambo was such a uh, not a crutch, but just a security yeah. blanket for him. Uh, the one thing with Brennan, he he's got his guys back throwing the ball. So if he can get a little yeah. protection, mm. I like that pick. I think both those guys will be very yeah. successful. How about defense? Best defense in the ACC. You got a couple of good options here. Yeah, I, I would go Clemson by a hair over okay. Pittsburgh. I think um, you know the front seven is uh, is really strong. Um, I know it'll be a little bit different, but I remember seeing Dabo at the National Football Foundation and uh, asking him you know, what he's going to do at, at DC, and he goes, "Everybody's going to think Sweeney's crazy again." He said, "But I got this guy," and he, you know he's telling me about West Goodwin, and uh, so I, I I have a lot of confidence that they will that they'll be an excellent defense. So I'll go with Clemson just by hair over Pitt. That that sounded a little bit like Dabo. That was a good one there, Reese. Um, okay. <laughs> this is both Alabama yeah. guys. We, you know, I, I can pick exactly. right. That's right. Exactly. This is tough to predict in June, but who's going to win the coastal? Who's going to win the Atlantic? <laughs> who's going to win the Atlantic coast conference? Why, why, why you did you laugh when she said coastal? I don't understand. Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> I just, well, whose turn is it? Do you want to just it pick starts over? It starts over. <laughs> just pick a name. Well, I think they're, if memory serves, and tell me if I'm wrong, I know you guys are locked in ACC, but I think, what, four new coaches in the Coastal, I think. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, Miami's probably the most talented roster. I worry a little bit about Keaton Slovis's health, mm. but I'm going to do the dumbest thing with the right to change my mind by the time August comes, because we sit here in June. Uh, the dumbest thing ever is to pick someone to repeat right. in that division, but I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Pitt. Okay. I'm going to say with the with the defense and even with the changes that they've had on offense and the loss of Jordan Addison, I'll, I'll go with Pitt. Um, I'm going to go I'm going to go back to Clemson, and I think Clemson will will win the mm. ACC. Okay, is Clemson and in the playoffs? The one team I haven't mentioned and quarterback that I didn't mention that I like both of them is is North Carolina yeah. State. Really like Devin Leary. I think NC State has a chance, uh, but I will I will go with the overall talent base at Clemson. I think Clemson will uh, will win the ACC and will probably mm. make. The there we playoff. go. They're back. They're probably. back. The, the yeah. one thing it yeah. should be yeah. you mentioned quarterback play. 
it should elevate the conference. Now, what we've seen over time is you have these individual, very talented groups in a conference, and it doesn't equate to wins. The quarterback position, that, mm-hmm. that's the ultimate one. So that we have to see that. We have to see it early in the non-con, especially yep, yep. looking at Miami, Texas A&M. You look at NC State, Texas Tech, uh, uh, Pittsburgh. I mean, they play Tennessee and, and West Virginia. So there's some really early mm-hmm. opportunity for the ACC. But, man, Reese, thank you. This was so much fun. Really appreciate your time, the storytelling, the insight, uh, the note-taking. Kelly and I have pages of notes oh, yeah. here for the season. <laughs> really appreciate you, man. Well, that's very kind. Well, no, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Man, Reese Davis, th- those stories, we, we kind of touched on it on the front end, were just really cool and, and enlightening kind of to hear his story about mm-hmm. how you know, his wife almost left him because he was going to Flint. I'm joking. I'm I don't joking. know if he said almost <laughs> right. I might have been changing the story a little bit. Uh, but it, it's always helpful. Let me just say this. It's always helpful to have a supportive wife uh, because it makes everything so much easier. Or a supportive and, husband. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, a supportive spouse. Let yes, me make, let me say that. that. Uh, it makes the world go round. But just to hear some of, you know, his insight with his prep. And, and you know, a guy like that who's been doing this at the tippy top for so long, um, I thought it was really interesting to make the changes that he had and, and, you know, was focused on stats and man, I got to have every number. I got to have everything that's relevant and knowing that, you know, there's, there's only a couple that are really important to help tell that story. KG, I thought that was really interesting. And I think he hangs out with McConaughey more than he was letting. I do too. Like, come on. He and McConaughey are boys. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) That, That was great. I really appreciated how quick he was to give us the top three, Campuses, Washington State, JMU, and he threw Clemson in there, which we, we appreciate. That's right. And we didn't and prep then, him. We didn't prep no, him on that. That was all off the dome. He was, was ready. The pickers were awesome as well. <laughs> Those were great. So we really appreciate Reese and his time. And we really appreciate our producer, Richmond Weaver, who makes this show happen. He truly does. He's one of the most gifted producers out there. We're very lucky to have him on our team. And make sure you go listen to his podcast, Rich Take on Sports, wherever you get your pods. He interviews a bunch of different people in sports, including Mac and I. So make sure you check that out. That's Rich Take on Sports. Yeah, if you, if you don't get enough of us on this podcast, you can listen to another podcast. <laughs> you're probably tired talk. of us, but if That's you're not. Right. That's right. Uh, and, and just to go back on Rich, I mean, my goodness, we, we throw a massive curveball at him. We're, we're saying, hey, we're going to be doing video now. Figure yeah. it out. And he does it seamlessly. Uh, Rich, love you, man. Really appreciate everything you do for us. But that's it from us, guys. Another good episode. Gramlick and Mac Lane. Appreciate you guys always tuning in on the SiriusXM app. Go get it. Figure it out, guys. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. You got to have that. Uh, but also go subscribe wherever you can on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts. Jump in there. Write some reviews. Write some comments. It's always really fun to hear from you guys and maybe tell us other things that you want to see. Uh, but that's it from us. Until next time, we'll see y'all.